0: Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann.
1: And if you turn in that Bible to Psalm 107. We're going to read from verses 1 to 9, and then uh, Billy's going to slip to the end of the the chapter and read the last verse as well. There are five books in the Psalms. uh, And these five books... Each had a little bit different theme to them, and the book 5 starts with 107, and it's about the people of exile. Simply stated, they're getting ready to head back. They have been in exile, now we're headed back to what we were supposed to be, even 70 years ago, where we were supposed to be in the future. We recognize that God had a special plan for us, all the way back to Abram. He called Abram and said, I'm going to make you a nation, and your nation will change all other nations. And that meant, whether Abram knew it or not, that Jesus was going to use this nation as a launch pad to the ends of the world. And so, they recognized we haven't done so well on that. In fact, they didn't do so well on it that through three kings, they just kept going uh, in disappointing ways. They had Saul, then they had King David, then they had King Solomon. At the end of King Solomon, there was a civil war, and both nations were very disappointing after Solomon. In fact, they weren't real great during Solomon. But after Solomon, they went in terrible directions. And eventually, the northern nation, the nation called Israel, goes and gets assimilated in Assyria, and we really don't hear from them again. But Judah hangs on. Uh, they don't have many righteous kings, but they hang on for a bit longer, and finally God says, "'Enough.'" I'm going to take you, and I'm going to put you in exile. But you chose exile. It wasn't my plan for you. You chose it. So, for 70 years, they get taken to Babylon. And at the end, by some miracle, and we can talk about that later, they get sent back to the so-called promised land. And it's almost like the Lord's saying, I'm going to still do this thing I ever had planned for you. It's going to be a little different now than I, I, we had hoped it would be. But nonetheless, you're going to be back there and I'm going to do an incredible work, so let's head back. And what's neat about this is he gives them songs to sing. I think it was Luther that said, you no, you can have all the theology in the land, just give me the songs. I want the songs to be able to teach my people. And this is the first of the songs of exile. Hey, we're done with exile, we're headed back now, and he wants to make sure Song 107, Psalm 107 called the song for coming home, is very, very uppermost in their mind. And so, I want you to listen for it. There are four different kinds of folks talked about in this song. Number one, the lost or the wandering. Number two, the imprisoned. Number three, the rebellious fools. And by the way, when we talk about this in prison, we talk about people dumb as a rock. And then five, those who are enduring a storm and indeed are shipwrecked. And I love to talk to prisoners. Which one of these are you? And uh, I like what Billy said this week. In my testimony, all four. I said, choose A, B, C, or D. He said, E. I said, man, that wasn't even on the choice. He said, I chose E. So we're going to go through number one today. All right? It's going to be a four-part series. Number one is those who are wandering, those who are lost. Okay, would you please stand in reverence to the Word of God as Billy reads Psalm 107, verses 1 to 9.
0: Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered out of the lands, from the east, from the west, from the north, and from the south. They wandered in a wilderness in desolate way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses, and he led them forth by right way, that they might go into the city for a dwelling place. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfied the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Verse 43, whoever is wise will observe these things and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be the wise. We want to be the people who observe your word, Lord. We know that The testimony in his word has the ability to change us into your image. And so that's what we pray as a church, Lord, that you would make us a holy people. And, Lord, I also pray that you would show us your goodness and your mercy and your kindness, Lord, in your word. Lord, I pray that this word would go out and bring back fruit with it, Lord, that it would not fall on a single deaf ear, but it would change us to to be men of you, Lord. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: You may be seated. Thank you. So I think one of the things I heard... Billy said just a moment ago, and this is what I heard, whether, regardless of what he said, it uh, that you're here for a reason. You're here for a reason this morning, and God wants to use Psalm 107 to impact your life. Do you believe that? So, Jesus overcome the messenger today, so that regardless of what I say, they get the message they're supposed to get from 107. The two great words in the first couple of... Uh, couple of uh, verses here. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, for he is redeemed from the hand of the adversary. You may remember, uh, you might have to be a little older, but you remember that old song? Let the redeemed of the Lord say, two of us, good, thank you. Let the redeemed, you know this. Keep going then. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed, praise the Lord. Probably was popular 50 years ago, which tells you all you need to know about the age of Matt and Maureen. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, it's, it's a great song. We, we need to say so. He's changed my life. We need to talk about it. Two great words I want to talk about. First off, that word redeem. It means basically to regain possession of something in exchange for payment. So there's something paid that God might take possession of you again. Now thought was, man, He used to have us. We used to be His people. And then across several hundred years, we just lost it. Then we were put in exile, basically captivity, and now, hey, we're redeemed. We're His possession again. We belong completely and totally to Him. Whatever you want with us, Lord. And I think this song is basically saying... These are the four kinds of people, or we're going over one of those people today, but these are the four kinds of people we were, and guess what? He took us out of those people, and it's making us a new people. Anybody here willing to say, I once was lost, but now I'm found? Because that's what this is about. I once was lost, I once was wandering, but now I'm found. And eventually what we know is, in Jesus Christ, that payment was the blood of God and that blood is poured forth so that we might be His possession. Then He comes (laughs) about seven weeks later and fills us to the very brim with His Holy Spirit, and that's when this great launch pad happens. We go all over the world, all the way to Clinton, Mississippi. We go all over the world, and we feel that redemption, and we share that redemption with other people. In any ministry we're a part of, We're able to share redemption, David, out at the abortion clinic. Thank you, guys. Thanks for being there this week. Nobody else wants to be there. You were there this week. We thank God that we can share that redemption purpose of God in the prisons. We thank God we can share that redemption purpose at John Hopkins Elementary. And, Lord, everywhere you put us, we just want to share how you've taken possession of us, and now you want to keep on going. By the way, praise God he's taken possession of us. Anybody want to belong to yourself? Some of us have tried that program before. I don't want to own me anymore. I want God to take possession. That word redeems huge. There's also this word, hesed. Hesed love. It's a word that's not in any other Semitic language. It's only in the Hebrew. It says it's kind of unique to our God movement. Hesed is unique, but it occurs about 250 times in the Old Testament. Most of those times are right here in the Psalms. Translating in the Old Testament as... In fact, it's so hard for us to translate it, we've got to translate it with a bunch of different words. Mercy, unfailing love, steadfast love. I love the theological word book of the Old Testament, has it as obstinate love. I love that. That's always been my favorite definition of hesed. Obstinate love. And if it, when you spit in its face, it'll keep coming. When you crucify him, he will love you nonetheless. It keeps coming and coming, an obstinate kind of love. Now, this is a different kind of love. At the time of Jesus, hundreds of years before, there there was guys like Socrates that would come along. And uh, Dennis Kinlaw says, you know, Socrates and basically everyone else in the Greco-Roman world could not conceive of a love that was primarily concerned with the lover and what the lover could pour out on the loved. Love at the time of Socrates is always, how can I get love from you? How can I get what I want from you? And this chesed love comes along and convinces, them, particularly at the time of Jesus and on into the apostles, they began understanding love as not what we can get from someone we're pursuing, but what we can give to them. I'm going to tell you, if you want to ever see a good marriage, this is what you'll see. You'll see two people trying to figure out, how can I give them love? How can I love on them instead of how can I get love from them? That's a lousy marriage and it won't work. But if we can all of a sudden convince ourselves, Jesus, fill me to the very brim because I want to fill this other person up with the love you've given me. I want to love them and love them and pursue them. It's a precious thing, this hesed love. But that's the word that is in Psalm 107 a few times. Loving kindness, hesed love, unfailing love, obstinate love. Y'all, this is so important that you understand this kind of love because it's a love that's coming for you today. He wants to love you with that kind of love today. Are you receiving that kind of love from him today? Second thing is this. It's this is all about lost and wandering. It says, They wandered in the wilderness in a desert region. They did not find a way to an inhabited city. They were hungry. They were thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Now, I think what the psalmist is doing, and regardless of whether he is or not, it surely means a lot to me that he might be, he's hearkening back to Numbers 13 and 14. And in Numbers 13 and 14, what happened there, and I give my testimony from time to time here, I was saved when I was in seventh grade. I gave my life over to Jesus. And if you know anything about my salvation, I was pretty excited about it. Uh, There's a number of things that happened in seventh grade, but one of the things that happened was... uh, David Wilkerson, anybody remember crossing the switchblade? I went to a David Wilkerson crusade. That wasn't the time. but A number of things like that happened at that time, and I just got turned on for Jesus. Next thing you know, I'm out in front of Roosevelt Junior High doing Jesus chants. I'm thinking, Matt, this will not do anything for your popularity in this school, but give me a J, give me an E, give me an S, U, S. You know, back then, the coolest thing that could have happened to you, guy, if you had some cool-looking leather kind of hanging off your body. So I had me some cool-looking leather. I said, hey, went to my buddy Joe Drescher. I said, Joe, make me a, make, make me a Bible pouch. So I had me a little Gideon Bible. I'm going to put my Gideon Bible pouch. And so he said, you mean like just, no, 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 not just. I don't want just. I want fringe hanging off of it. So it's kind of hanging down. Give that Daniel Boone, that cool Daniel Boone look as I'm walking along. Everybody can see Matt coming with his Bible pouch. Problem was, he didn't create cool fringe that hung down. He he stuck like hard leather in there where it kind of went out. So it looked like a big spider. So I'm as excited as I could be about Jesus. I love my mama, but she didn't have a real sense of style. So she bought me some white bell-bottoms. Anybody remember bell-bottoms? Problem was, mom always always bought them to size. Meant they, They fit real good on the day they were bought. But it didn't feel real good after she'd done the wash a couple of times. So I'd be on the other side with, who knows, psychedelic socks and some weird shirt, a spider on my hip. Give me a J! Give me an E! And I just knew Ebbe wanted my Jesus. Ebbe's looking over me and says, what a moron. We don't want anything to do with this Jesus. But I knew this. If you gave your heart to Jesus, you did something about it. You didn't just say, hey, let me go along my private way. I knew you had to tell people about it. I might have been dumb as a rock, but I was wholly dumb as a rock. So, I fell away. Across several years, I just started falling. Not big steps, little steps away. And I got to where, between my sophomore and junior years, I was struggling. And I'm making decisions now where I'm going to go vocationally. I'm making decisions who I'm going to marry. I'm making decisions about the trajectory of my life. And the Lord put me in front of a pastor who preached Numbers 13 and Numbers 14. And if you remember there, Jesus or God says, I want you to go in and possess the land. And he said, send in 12 spies, each from the, one guy from each of the tribes and go check out the land. Cause I know when you come back, you're going to be Really excited about the land. And they were. They came back and they were excited. about the Woo, It's the land of the milk and the honey. We are not just a woofing about that, man. It's the land of the milk and the honey. But then they said, but there are giant people over there. There are fortified cities over there. They can kick our tails. We don't think we ought to do it. Ten of them said, we don't think we ought to do it. Two of them said, we should by all means go get that land. God is with us. Who can be against us? I named My first two boys after those guys, Caleb and Yeshi, Caleb and Joshua. Y'all, it seemed to me like the Lord was saying to me, sitting in the pews that day, Matt, if you don't seize the land today, you will wander in the wilderness for the next 40 years of your life. So I got in my little Volkswagen bug. That was a cool car, too. It went right along with the bell bottoms, the spider on the hip. I started going home, and I couldn't, I couldn't keep going. I was, I was crying. I had to stop the car, and I just said, Jesus, I give you everything. I give you the women. I give you my possessions. I give you the trajectory of my life. I'll give you my vocation. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Whatever you don't want me to do, I won't do. Y'all, that was the day when I was sanctified. That was the day when the Spirit filled me. That was the day when the whole course of my life changed dramatically. And I think that's what God wanted for these children of Israel. From time to time, you're going to struggle with what you need to be doing. But if you just always think about me, what I want you to do, you're going to be okay. But instead, this is what happened. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them because they kept looking to themselves instead of to Yahweh. And in that, they slowly died a spiritual death, and they found themselves in exile. And so, in all of this, I just want you to know, it's quite possible to be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ and still have a wandering problem. It's still possible to wander away, even even if you belong to Him. I was wandering, and there may be some people here today Wandering. Dostoevsky once wrote, if man were made, the great Russian novelist, Dostoevsky said, if man were made to do meaningless activity, I believe he would go crazy. And Chuck Colson says, I think that someone at a concentration camp found out about Dostoevsky and his prediction and said, let's try it. And so Colson talks about it. I believe it was Auschwitz. The Allied aircraft came over and bombed a place, and so they decided, hey, let's take all the ruins of that bombing and put them at one end of the camp. And so the prisoners were out there doing that. They assembled all this trash and this heap and this broken wood, they put it all at the end of a camp. And the next day they said, hey, we think you ought to go out to that trash and take it to the other end of the camp. And they thought, this is just dumb. This is crazy. Why would we do that? So they did it. They they put it all to the other end of the camp. The next day, they said, now, having done that, we want you to take all that trash and put it back to where you found it. And so they did that. But they did it day after day after day. Moving the trash from one end of the compound to the other. It made no sense. It had no sense of purpose. It had no mission to it. Just one end to the other. And finally it happened one day. One of the men stole away and went to the Electrocution fence and grabbed hold and was fried right there. Another began weeping uncontrollably, and when ordered to stop, he didn't, and they beat him to death right there. And one by one, all the prisoners that were involved in that project of moving huh, a heap of trash from one end of the compound to the other, back and forth and back and forth, they all died. And they died because Das Guess is right. If you do something missionless, purposeless, Even if you think it might be something good, it will kill you. Y'all, I'm going to suggest to you here that when you're wandering in the wilderness, you die. And guess what? It happened to these people. Every one of them, older than age 20, just like God said, you're going to die in that wilderness. We'll bury you in those sands. And I believe it's still true today. And let me tell you how I think it's true. I think that if you're in a church you say, okay, I want to tithe, I want to attend Sunday school, I want to go to church. Here, I stand, I can do no other. Hallelujah, praise God. And then, you do it again next week. I can do no other, praise God. And then you do it next week. And there's no mission to it. There's no purpose to it. There's no great commission to it. There's no great commandment to it. All you're doing from week to week is just the same old thing out of habit, maybe even out of holy habit, but out of habit. And the Lord finally says, you're dying. You're dying. Do you know that you're dying? You need a great commission purpose. You need a great commandment mission. You need to have your life poured out for others in the community. And if you don't, you're dying. You're dying. And the people in exile finally said, enough of dying. We want to go back to the Great Commission. We want to go back to the Great Commandments. We need to go back and be the launch pad that God ever imagined that we could be. And they know it's going to be hard. I mean, the temple is down. The walls are destroyed. They know it's going to be hard. But hard or not, they say, let's go back where we belong for the mission of our Lord. Amen. Third point is this. I think everybody, in a tough predicament like they were in, has a pivot point in their life. And here's the pivot. Verse 6, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distresses. He led them by a straight way to go to an inhabited city. And then verse 9, For He has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul. He is filled with what is good. (laughs) Remember verse 5, They were hungry and thirsty, their souls fainted. But now in verse 9, he satisfies the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what's good. What is good? That's a great question. What is good? God is good. And you can fill your soul with you or you can fill your soul with God. And the people before the exile were filling them souls, their souls with themselves. And the people after exile, they wanted anything that God wanted for them. They were hungry for him. Listen, eight times in the Psalms, eight times comes this phrase, Arise, O Lord. Can you say that right now? Arise, O Lord. Lord. Typically, it's in the imperative. Command. In other words, you're giving God a command. You don't do that. Yeah, you do. You do it if God likes it. God likes that command. Arise, O Lord. I'm in trouble. I'm in distress. Hey, anybody live in a nation right now that's in trouble and distress? Then we need to cry out as a nation, Arise, O Lord. We need you, O Lord. We are sinners, O Lord. We are in big, bad trouble, O Lord. Arise, help us. But if you're going to pray for the nation, you may as well go ahead and pray for your community. Anybody here live in the metro area that's in trouble? We can say, Lord, we need you. Our metro area needs you. Anybody here have a family that lives in a troubled metro area? then you need to say, Arise, O Lord. My family needs you. We need you because we need to stay hot on your trail. We need to make sure we need you more than we need ourselves. Lord, we need you. Arise, O Lord. And the psalmist usually cries out for himself, Arise, O Lord. I need you. We need you. We're willing to say that today, perhaps more than ever, We need you. And so we cry out in our distress and say, Lord, we need you. It's okay to give God an order if God likes the order. And he wants you to want him. He wants you to want him to arise. The psalmist is in such a relationship with God that he knows it's a command that God loves. It signifies a deep personal relationship. Do you, y'all, do you have a deep personal relationship where you could command God to do something and God would like it. That's the kind of deep personal relationship He wants with you. I uh, am reminded about what it means to be hungry and thirsty for me. I read a book years ago called uh, Habits of the Heart, put put together by Robert Bell and a team of people. And in that book, he has someone that he keeps coming back to called Sheila. One of the people he keeps coming back to, and Sheila is interesting. She goes, uh, One thing Sheila says is, I, I serve my own personal God. Sounds okay so far until she says, It's my own view of Him. And she talks about her own view of God, and it's a really nice God that wants her to do anything she wants to do. He wants me to be happy no matter what. Uh, not, not any of this, Matt, not any of this, hey, he wants us to be wholly not happy, or not necessarily happy. You know, he wants you happy. Anything it takes to make you happy, that's the God Sheila had. Make me happy, Lord. I want to be happy. Any price, I want to be happy. And Robert Bella calls that Sheilaism. Because there's a possibility in America today that we could have 330 million gods, just like Hindu does. We have 330 million gods. Everybody has God in their own image. Can I say this? You don't want God in your own image. Because this is what Sheila finds out. She's, she's quoted a couple times in the book, and later on in the book, she's all blurry-eyed and wiped out and, and tired as she can be and in need of a 12-step program. And, and someone comes up and says, would you please stop it? You don't have to do that. And she looks up blurry-eyed and says, you mean I don't have to live the way I want to live? <laughs> no! You don't have to live the way you want to live. You don't have to drink. You don't have to be addicted to methamphetamine. You don't have to be a porn addict. You don't have to want what you want. You can say, Jesus, what I want more than anything is you in my life. I want you to possess me, redeem me, take me as your own, use me. I want to be yours, Lord. I want to deny myself, not indulge myself. I want to deny myself. I want to take up the cross, that special burden you have for my back. I'm going to follow you to the ends of the earth. Praise be to God. He can do it by a miracle. And I believe the people of exile are the people. Now, Listen, hundreds of thousands are over there in Babylon. Only tens of thousands came back. But to those tens of thousands, he says, yes, I hear you. You want to deny yourself. You want to die to yourself. You want me, and I like that. Number four is this, finally. I want to tell you, I believe God changes things. How many of you would affirm that this morning? God changes things. That's good news, and it's bad news. Now, I'm going to say it's all good news, but just work with me just a minute here, okay? This is what it says in verse 34 and 35. Now, I know I'm jumping ahead, but I'm going to include this in every one of the services. Uh, let's, Let's start with 33 and 34. He changes rivers into a wilderness. Now, think about that. He changes Water into sand. Now, if you're out there in the wilderness, that's not good news. You want to see water. But he says, says here, he changes. This God changes rivers into a wilderness and springs of water into thirsty ground. He changes a fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who dwell in it. He changes a wilderness into a pool of water and a dry land into springs of water. Ooh, now that's goodness. See, it just switched. There's a contrast here. He can take that which was plenty wet, and you like that, and turn it into plenty dry. Or he can change a wilderness into a pool of water and a dry land into springs of water. And if you live in this part of the country, you like that a lot. You know, if you were with us today, he says, and he can turn a 95 degree day in Mississippi with 90% humidity into air conditioning and good times for you. And he can I'm reminded how much of this story is rooted in deuteronomy deuteronomy 28. can I read it to you? This is back there, Moses. He's warning Moses, he's warning all the people. He's saying, "Now, if you do what I want you to do, it's going to be good times, but if you don't, it shall come about that the Lord delighted over you to prosper you. He delights in prospering us. Amen, and to multiply you. Amen. So the Lord will delight over you to make you perish and destroy you. And you'll be torn from the land where you are entering to possess it. Moreover, the Lord will scatter you among all peoples, from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth. And there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone, which you or your fathers have not known. Among those nations you will not find any rest. There will be no resting place for the sole of your foot. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing of eyes, and despair of soul. So your life shall hang in doubt before you and you will be in dread night and day and you'll have no assurance of your life. He can change things. This is what he's saying. If you are arrogant and satisfied and sitting at Dayspring this morning, guess what? I can change that. If you're just happy as you can be in Jesus and you intend to stay right there in that happiness but you don't want to serve me, you don't want to go to the poor or to the oppressed, you don't want your life to be poured out into a community that is desperate for me, then guess what? I can change all this. If you're a nation, if you're a nation that's the richest nation in the world, and you're arrogant about it, guess what? I can change that. And I'm not so sure he's not changing it. And what do we do when he decides, I'm going to change America from, wow, prosperity number one, to everybody looks at us and say what a pity that was. They had their act together, and they spit in the face of God. They say, he won't do that because I'm a nice guy. He won't do that because I go to a nice church. I can assure you, before everybody's exile, there were nice people. There was people called the remnant. There were folks that said, hey, we love Jesus. We go to a holy place. We, we, we... We And he said, yeah, I know, but most don't. And guess what? Hey, you know what he needs right now? He needs for a group of people to look straight up to heaven and say, Arise, O Lord. Because I want you to change some things. But Lord, I don't want you to change them like Deuteronomy 28. He can do this. He can change an exiled nation into the birthplace of Jesus and the Jesus movement around the world. He can take a bunch of people that belong to Babylon and then belong to Persia, and he can send them back. (laughs) He can pay to get them sent back. And he can say, I'm going to reestablish you and watch to see what I don't do. I'm going to save the world from your geographic location. Watch to see what happens. He can change you today from someone wandering on the periphery of his dream to being a central player. And the only thing to do to that right now is say, yes, sir. I want to be a central player. And I don't want to be satisfied with my life in Jesus today. I want to go stronger. I want to do more. I want to be more. I want to know your love even more. And Lord, when I know your love anymore, even more, there's no way I'm going to keep it to myself. It's going to flow right out of me into a lost world, into a world that needs redemption, into a world that needs you. Lord. I do not want to be someone who is lost or who is wandering. And whatever we can say this morning, Lord, we don't want to be a saved people that are wandering. Because finally, if we're wandering and the Lord says, stop wandering and we keep wandering, we're not saved anymore. The Lord says to some of us sitting here today, you're wandering. Thanks for tithing. Church needs it. Thanks for coming to services. Church needs it. Thanks for raising a great family. The world needs it. But that's not enough. I need for your faith to be put on me totally, completely. I need for you to look up right now and say, Arise, O oh Lord. Come from my nation. Say it. Come from my nation. Come from my metro area. Come for my family. Come for me, Lord Jesus. Lord, we need you. We ask that you arise. We're a needy people. In fact, like David said, even as king, he said, I'm a poor and needy man. Lord, could you come? In our poverty today and our need, we need for you to arise and do something beautiful, do something good in us. We cry to you in our distress. Save us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you, Day Spring. Thank you.